first off, can I just say thank you to our worship team? It's a great way to bring in the new year. Um, <laughs> yeah, so hey, good morning. Um, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Holden. Uh, I'm on staff here at Regen. Uh, I'm not going to give you my official title. It's a little bit long, and it makes for an excellent talking piece after the gathering. So if you want to find me in the back of the room to find out what that is, I would love to have a chat with you. Um, in the meantime, if you need to refer to me by something, church secretary is fine. Um, I also get the opportunity to be of, like, I think we're up to nine communicators now. Um, and just a quick sidebar, I really appreciate that as a church, we get the opportunity to hear the Bible taught by more than one perspective. I think as a church, we are really lucky that throughout the year, we get to see how the Bible changes and impacts different people's lives in different ways. Anyways, enough of my random thoughts, um, though I'm sure there will be more later. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 16. If you could join me there while I go ahead and tell you guys a quick little story. Oh, hey, look at that. I almost turned directly to it. So in case you didn't know, I'm currently attending Bible college. Uh, I attend at the Moody Bible Institute, and yes, I have to say it that way, otherwise I get yelled at. Um, so I attend online classes, and part of my curriculum are online discussion boards. And I literally just groaned in my heart saying that. See, most of the time, I find them difficult, even kind of annoying. They typically get in the way of the bigger assignments that I have to do throughout the week. But one thing that I have grown to appreciate about them is that I get the opportunity to talk with and discuss with classmates around the world. I've had classmates in the UK, in Germany, I've had one who was living in Japan, and see, for the most part, they are either spouses of missionaries or spouses of armed force members. Needless to say, I have a lot of experience talking with people with a lot of different perspectives. And some of those perspectives are good, and some of them are bad. See, a few semesters ago, we were discussing scripture, and we were talking about John 17. See, this part of scripture is talking about how Christians are meant to be a part of the world, but not really a part of the world. And typically, generally, this is taken to mean that we are not meant to be conformed to the values of the world and the culture set before us. We are supposed to be we are supposed to get our values from God. And among this discussion, we talked about how culture uh, impacts the views of Christians. Uh, and then the discussion moved toward sexuality. And amidst the discussion, someone's response was, that doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Honestly, I didn't know how to respond at the time, and it was nearing the end of the week, so I kind of just let the comment slide, 
and just let the conversation end without an actual finish because I had other things that I had to finish writing that were more important to me. But as I was preparing this sermon, that phrase kept coming to mind. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. And I kept thinking how each of us have formed our own definition, whether conscious or unconscious, about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is to us. How he views our actions. If you were with us last year at Easter time, Kyle did an excellent job at describing this. He was talking about when Peter denies Jesus three times before Jesus' crucifixion. And on the third time that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus and Peter make eye contact. And Kyle had us think about the look on, on Jesus' face when Peter looked at him. And the look on Jesus, that, that we see on Jesus' face in that moment says more about us and how we view Jesus than how Jesus views us. See, the question today is, does our definition of Jesus come from our culture and the world? Or... Is our definition based, is our definition of Jesus based out of a revelation from God and his word? See, as we start 2023, we are starting a series called Who Do You Say That I Am? Where we are going to be spending the next six weeks diving into the book of John and looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now this might seem a little bit basic, but why go back to the basics? Late last year, a group of our teaching team gathered together and we prayed and we listened to what God wanted us to teach this year. And there was this overwhelming theme of show or tell them who I am. See, we need to know who Jesus is to follow Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is. That way when our decisions don't look like the rest of the world's decisions, we can rest in the truth of who Jesus is as we navigate our life in our cultures. So go ahead and look with me real quick at Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. It'll be up on the screen. I actually went ahead and made slides this time. That's new for me. Um, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. 
because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In some translation, it says you did not learn this by flesh and blood. Verse 18, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. See, this passage is pivotal to the book of Matthew. This passage takes us into the second half of Jesus's ministry. And so real quick, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give us a quick overview of the first half of the book of Matthew, just in case you haven't had a chance to read it, or if it's been a while since you have read it. We can split Matthew into a few different sections with chapters 1 through 3. Um, is Matthew connecting Jesus to the Old Testament. Chapters 4 through 7 is Jesus announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. Think language like repent and believe. And if you know it, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 8 through 10 is Jesus bringing the kingdom to earth. You can think the, the many miracles that Jesus did in the first half of his ministry. Chapters 11 and 13 is the people's response to Jesus. See, he was accepted by many, but rejected by others. And then chapters 14 through 20 cover the many different expectations of the Messiah. It's in this section that we find ourselves. After the feeding of both the five and the four thousand... And Jesus having a conversation with religious leaders where they ask him, Jesus, give us another sign that you are who you say he, you are. And he rebukes them and tells them, no, I'm not giving you another sign. Jesus retreats away. He retreats away from the crowds, which is normal for Jesus. We often see him retreating away to spend time in prayer and relationship with the Father. And while he's away, he's having a conversation with his disciples. They're walking along, and he looks at them, and he asks them two seemingly simple questions. Who do the crowds say the Son of Man is? And who do you say he is? See, this verse is a turning point in Jesus' ministry. His focus shifts from the crowds to ensuring that the disciples know who he is. And what's to come for the Messiah? It's in this part of his ministry that his focus begins to shift toward teaching and preaching rather than miracles. See, Jesus' first question in verses 13 through 14 uh, was, Who do the people say that I am? He doesn't ask, Who do the religious leaders say I am? Rather, he's asking, who do the crowd say he is? Who do the everyday people say that I am? And why start with this question? See, Jesus knows that the end is coming. Jesus knows that he'll soon find himself on the cross. And in a sense, he's checking in with the disciples to see if they've grasped who he is. 
Like, think about for a second that you're working on a project at work, or if you're in school, you're learning a new subject, and your teacher or your boss comes over and kind of like leans over your shoulder and kind of like checks in on you to make sure that you understand what's going on. And he uses it as an opportunity to start this conversation. And the responses that we see is that he's Elijah because in Jewish beliefs, they believe that Elijah will return before the Messiah does. Um, That he is John the Baptist or one of the great prophets. What we learn here is that no one truly knows or recognizes who Jesus is. They recognize that he is a great man of power. They recognize that he is full of wisdom and that he speaks from God. But they don't see him for the entirety of who he is. And as believers, it is important for us to recognize the reality that the world will have many definitions of who Jesus is. And yet many of them are wrong. See, in 2015, the Barna Group did a study to find out what Americans believed about Jesus, who they thought Jesus was. Around 92% of Americans believed that Jesus was a real person. They believed that he existed. Seems like we're off to a pretty good start there. Um, but then only about 56% of people believed that Jesus was actually divine. Only 56% of people believe that Jesus was God. Around 46% of people didn't believe Jesus was sinless. Which I had a really hard time wrapping my head around because, like, in my mind, it just doesn't make sense. See, many Americans believe that Jesus was real, but they don't accept the fullness of who Jesus is. Some other beliefs that the world has formed about Jesus uh, is that he isn't the only way to heaven. That people are able to attain salvation by works, by just living a good life, without the intervention of Jesus. See, many people have this idea of who Jesus is, but that this personal definition is not enough. Often, when people deny the gospel... It is because of a bad definition or understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is love, and he invites the sinner to repent and believe and follow him. But if they don't believe in what Jesus says about himself or what the Bible teaches about him, that person will not come to follow Jesus as they should. Instead, relying on their own definition of who Jesus is and working toward or away from God on their own terms. Understanding what the world believes about Jesus is important for us as believers. Being able to understand the world's view helps us be a better witness when we interact with those around us. When you're at work and someone asks, why are you so joyful amidst amidst your loss? They can't understand why. Because they don't know Jesus. 
See, our response is, when we know where people are coming from when they ask us questions, our responses can help lost people in seeing the truth clearly. It's not as steady as I thought it was. It's also important for us to examine our own definition of Jesus in light of what the world believes. Is our definition of Jesus based on the people that we are around? Are our beliefs in the truth of who Jesus is swayed by our political environment? Or are we standing firm in who the Bible tells us Jesus is? In verses 15 and 16, reveals to us who Jesus is. Jesus asks them, asks the disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. See, this is a very personal question that Jesus asks the disciples. And I want to point out real quick that when Peter answers, he's not just answering for himself in this moment. He's answering for the entire group. The you that's used in verse 15 is a plural form in the Greek. And so Jesus, so Peter is the spokesperson for the disciples in this moment. And this question is very important because it's not the first time that somebody has proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. However, it is the first time that this proclamation is made on its own and by itself. What I mean by this is every other time that, the, that Jesus has been called the Messiah or has been called the Son of David, it has been preceded by a miracle. This is the first time that someone is looking at Jesus without any signs or wonders and proclaims, you are the Messiah. This confession is a confession of faith. And when we make the confession of faith, when we accept Jesus into our hearts, it's important that we know who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. Let's say for a second, someone rings your doorbell. And you go to your door, or if you're fancy, you open the Ring Doorbell app on your cell phone and look out at the door, and... Someone famous is standing outside. They're, they're knocking at your door. It's someone famous. Let's say, for example, The Rock. All right. Let's say, for example, The Rock. Um, and so you invite, you, you invite him in, and you, like, prepare the best dinner that you can for him. And you're having dinner. You're making this huge fuss over, over him. And while you're talking... You find out it's not actually The Rock. Rather, it's one of his TikTok doppelgangers that are just completely look identical. Can you tell me which one is The Rock up there? It's, it's the one on the right is The Rock. Anyways, it, it's creepy how much they look alike. Um, anyways, so once you find out who it is, imagine that person looks at you and asks you, why are you making such a fuss over me? And your response is that you thought they were the rock. In that moment, how do you think your guest feels? 
See, they thought you were honoring them when in reality you were honoring someone else because you didn't recognize who they really were. Similarly, when we try to honor Jesus based on our own definition, formed by our own understanding and experiences instead of God's revelation of who Jesus is through his word, we don't really honor him. Instead, we end up honoring someone else. We can't honor someone by doing something for them if we've mistaken who they are. In order to receive Jesus in a way that is honoring to him, we need to recognize him for who he is according to the word. We must see the glory of Jesus and agree in our hearts that he is worthy of our trust and our obedience. And that's what Peter's confession is. See, when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he is saying that, one, there is no earthly office that Jesus fits into. Jesus is much more than just a king. He's much more than just a prophet. And he's much more than just a priest. He is the Son of the living God who created all things. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. And this confession also tells us exactly how we learn to recognize who Jesus is. We only come to know who Jesus really is through a revelation from God, through the word of God. Verse 17, Jesus says that Peter is blessed because of his answer. That he has come to know, not because of flesh and blood, rather it was through a revelation from God the Father. And that's how we come to know who Jesus really is. See, no matter how much we study, no matter how much uh, we do for Jesus and God, our faith and our relationship with God is so much more than just knowing about Jesus. We have to know who he is on an intimate level. Otherwise, we can't truly trust him. Otherwise, when he calls us out, we can't follow what he has asked us to do. See, I think back to a time in uh, 2018, uh, my wife Heather and I uh, were attending another church. And we had just gotten engaged earlier in 2017. And we had asked Kyle and Steph to do our pre-marriage counseling. And at this point, I think I had only met Kyle and Steph maybe two or three times, but Heather had a relationship with them. And so we'd asked them and we started this process. And throughout the counseling, you know, during my pre-marriage counseling, go over some really uh, deep things. And one of the things that we got onto was a very personal question on sexual sin. Now, this wasn't something that I talked about to my pastors at the church I currently attended. It wasn't something I talked about to my friends or my family. And so why would I talk about it to somebody I've only met two or three times? And so I did what anyone who was ashamed of their sin would do. I hid it. At a later date, God brought that back up and God dealt with that. And now we're moving forward. But the point of the story 
is that if we don't know someone, if we don't trust them, it is hard to be obedient and truthful with them. It is hard to follow what they're asking you to do. To recognize and receive Jesus for who he is, is an intimate thing. And God reveals that to us. So this morning I want to look at a couple of questions that are going to be up on the screen. Has God done this for me? How did he do it? What was it like in my experience when God revealed to me that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God? What difference has it made in my life that God the Father has revealed to me the true glory of his Son, Jesus Christ? As you look at these questions, don't worry if you can't answer them. If you're a new believer or newer, it takes time to understand what this means. If you've been a Christian for a long time, it's okay to struggle with these questions. See, these questions come from uh, a sermon that John Piper did, and he says that these questions are difficult to answer because they're a different perspective on our, conver on our conversion. See, when I first looked at these questions as I was preparing for the sermon, I actually, I was struggling to answer them uh, because to me, my conversion felt simple. I just prayed in the name of Jesus. And everybody's conversion moment is different. Um, that moment when God gets their attention is different. For one person, they might say, I believed in Jesus. Another, I was born again. Or simply, I walk by faith. No matter what it is, it's okay. See, John Piper said... Every person who has ever been converted to Christ was converted on the basis of limited understanding of what was really happening. It takes a lifetime to grasp the depth and wonder of the miracle of conversion to Christ. See, this passage in 13 through 20 gives us an opportunity to dive deep into the moment of our conversion the moment where we recognize Jesus for who he was and identify if we truly know who Jesus is or if we have allowed ourselves to drift from that revelation that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. And Jesus continues his discourse to the disciples in verses 18 through 20. And now these verses have been some of the most debated in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, some people, some scholars, uh, they don't believe that they're real. Um, some scholars believe that they're real but are in the wrong spot. Others believe that they are true and that Jesus spoke to Peter about being the rock. The rock on which Jesus will build the church. There's a lot of discussion on what Jesus meant by verse 18. It was a little overwhelming as I was studying it and looking it up. But just a quick overview is there, there's generally like three except like three ideas. The one is that Jesus was literal when he said that Peter was the rock that he was going to build his church on. See, Peter means 
in the Greek, petros, which means rock. The word Jesus uses for rock in the second half of the work, word in the verse is petra, which also means rock. It's a little bit of a play on word, but more specifically, the petra is a bedrock or a foundational rock. See, the second thought is that the rock that Jesus was going to build the church on was the confession of Peter in that moment, the confession that he is the Messiah. And the third general view is a sort of a mixture of the both. It's that Peter and the disciples being the first to make the confession of faith, knowing who Jesus really is, are the first stones added to the foundation of the church. The church that Christ is building, because again, it is Jesus who builds the church. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 19, and 2, 19 through 22, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for the, for God by the Spirit. See, Paul is talking to Gentiles in, in this moment, which we would be considered. And he tells them that when they accept the truth of who Jesus is, they become a part of the household that Jesus has built. The household that Jesus has built upon the foundation that is the apostles, which was the twelve disciples and the prophets, which Jesus himself is holding together as the cornerstone. See, when we accept and follow Jesus, we too are added to this wonderful building. The foundation that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 16, and the foundation that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 2, is the same foundation that we sit on as believers. That foundation, whether it is Peter or the confession that Peter uh, says, rests upon Jesus, which holds everything together. See, what you believe about Jesus impacts the way you follow him. And every one of us has conscious and unconscious beliefs about who Jesus is and what he is like that are not true to his nature. If you follow Jesus matters. How you follow Jesus also matters. It's important that we know who Jesus really is to the best of our current capacities so that we can follow him And not our own definition of what a Messiah is supposed to look like. I have fixed that light 12 times and it bothers me every time. <laughs> guys, I want to urge you, I really want to challenge you guys this week, to take a moment over the next week before we dive into the I Am statements. Take a moment 
to write down who you think Jesus is. And be honest with yourself. Don't just write down the textbook answer. Look at your definition of who the Messiah is and write that down. Reflect on how you perceive Jesus. And over the next six weeks, see if that changes as we learn what Jesus has to say about himself. And so today, I leave you with this. The same question Jesus asked the disciples. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Jenna, will you come and lead us in response time?